So last week, I think somebody said there were 38 points. Uh, this morning, there'll be considerably less than that. Next week, I think I have 50 points. So I'll have to get started on time and really, really go fast. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about angels and demons and uh, their whole part in your life. So that'll be kind of a fun topic. One of my favorite ones. If I don't get it all covered, we'll do it in two, two lessons. So this one's a little shorter this morning. Now this uh, that I'm giving you this morning, I've, you've heard me say in bits and pieces uh, over and over, uh, and so it may not be new stuff. I'm putting, got it in one point, and I had a number of questions from you uh, last week on one of these, so that was kind of the reason I threw this in. And uh, so if you have your notes, number one, Jesus as the second person of the Trinity... As the second person of the Trinity left heaven, emptied himself of all that he was as God and became flesh just like us. So I want to impress you this morning with the price that was paid for your salvation and for mine. Sometimes we, we are sort of, I don't know if naive is the right word, but not very uh, deep in our thinking and, and therefore our appreciation of what we have and what it costs for us to be able to live in heaven forever. And so this point here, it's not possible for us to understand it, uh, the distance that it was between being God uh, as Jesus and being flesh, the travel distance he traveled. Uh, illustrations are used about people wanting to influence their chickens and becoming a chicken so that they can communicate to them. Uh, I read a story once years ago about uh, a boy who had ants in his little ant farm and he wanted to communicate and he wondered how far it would be for him to become an ant. So none of those really do justice to the distance between God uh, in heaven, Jesus, and his stripping himself of what he was as God and becoming like us, but it was a great distance. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, in the form of God, he was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself. Uh, he stripped himself of all that he was as God, taking the form of a bondservant. And he didn't enter into the world as a rich person. He entered into the world as poor, and he entered into the world as a single cell embryo in the womb of Mary. And that's a fair distance that he traveled being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And number two, Jesus lived on this earth as a poor person, and he was not attractive or popular. You know, I think that if I were God, um, obviously that's a stretch, but if I were in heaven, I'm going to come down and save everybody. I'd come down as a rich person, some, well, at least comfortable, and, you know, good-looking uh, so if you're going to come down as a person, at least come down as somebody that's attractive uh, to people. But he did not do that. He, he uh, was despised his entire life. Uh, Isaiah 53, 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form. He wasn't particularly tall. He uh, wasn't impressive uh, by his stature. Uh, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. Uh, it's not the kind of individuals that you particularly looked at twice. Um, despised, and we did not esteem him. 
And so his appearance, his stature, nothing about Jesus was attractive or impressive. Uh, he came into the world as a, in a poor family, poor position, in a poor part of the country, and nothing about his physical appearance was attractive or impressive, though he could have. <clears throat> Number three, Jesus was harassed and tormented by established leaders of the day. I avoid uh, political topics like the plague, but I'll use one as an illustration. And uh, if we were to ask ourselves the question, I'll just take President Trump as an example and say, how much uh, harassment does he get from the press, from others? A, f a fair amount. And say, okay, let's put it on a scale of one to 100. And if we were to put it, uh, say, at 70, uh, if you read the Psalms, and this is a point that some of you uh, may have forgotten, I'll remake it. The Psalms are a prophecy of the very words and thoughts and emotions of Jesus. Obviously with the limitation in the sense that when the psalmist talks about sin, but much of the Psalms, and some of it's obvious, Psalms 22, where it talks about his hands being pierced, his feet being pierced, uh, being given uh, a gall for a drink while he hung on the cross. There's numbers that are obviously about the Messiah uh, prophecies, but if you read the Psalms and, and, and see it as the very words, thoughts, emotions of Jesus, one of the things you'll see is that about uh, almost 25% of the Psalms are in relationship to enemies and harassment uh, by people. Now, initially, as David wrote that and others wrote that, it was dealing with his life, but it was a prophecy of the very words of Christ. And so Psalms 3, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. And again, the words of Jesus as he prays, Psalm 69, 4, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. That's a lot of people. More than the hairs of my head, those who hate me without cause, those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. And so Jesus went through his life with people opposing him and hating him and fighting against him. And the reason is obvious. The devil knew who Jesus was. And he knew what his task was and what his goal were. And he wanted to destroy that, mess that up. And so he brought all kinds of people uh, against him as he lived his life. Number four, Jesus' disciples abandoned him. Peter denied him three times. Judas betrayed him. And so if you think about what he did, emptying himself of all that he was as God, coming into this world to save people and then to be uh, treated the way he was, uh, obviously there would be a, this sense of being unappreciated for the price he paid. And so his very own disciples all abandoned him. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Um, Mark 14, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And that's in Psalms, by the way, as a prophecy of Christ. Uh, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you even to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I won't. I mean, all these other chickens may, may scurry away, but not me. I'm a tough dude and I'm going to stick with you right to the bitter end. And uh, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night... Before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. And uh, Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing 
also, and you know the story. Uh, that very night he denies him three times that he knew anything about him. Psalms 41, verse 9, again, Psalms are a prophecy of the Messiah. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, and it's amazing, the Psalms being as accurate as they are about the Messiah, uh, thousands of years before Jesus lived. Psalms 55, 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor it is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, we who had sweet fellowship together, walked in the house of God in the throng. Uh, Psalms 55, a prophecy of Judas in his betrayal of Jesus. Matthew 26, 14, then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him, and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. And so three years Jesus ministered to him. Uh, Judas saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw him feed multitudes numerous times. He saw him raise people from the dead, uh, heal the sick. And you think, how dumb can a person be? Uh, 30 pieces of silver evidently was a, a major temptation in his life and so he sold out Jesus for money even after seeing everything that he saw. And so we think about what did Jesus feel? I mean we tend to discount a lot of that simply because of who he is. Uh, you know Jesus is God, no, no big deal. But he emptied himself of what he was as God, and so those kinds of things. And again, if you read the Psalms, you'll get the feeling, the motion that comes across in those Psalms about those events that took place in his life. Number five, Jesus was tortured physically before and on the cross. Now, the movie that came out, The um, Passion, uh, it, it highlights that, uh, the physical torture. And so and when we think about what price Jesus paid for our salvation, that's the, the event that we think of is the being nailed to the cross, the physical torture that he went through before the cross and on the cross. And when in fact, if you look at all the various aspects of the price that he paid, uh, I'm not saying that that was easy. I'm just saying in comparison to the other, that probably wasn't the greatest of all the prices that he paid. Uh, it was definitely uh, a significant one, especially when you look at the fact that he was f human, he was physical, experienced pain like you and I do. Uh, Matthew 26, 67, then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him. Uh, uh, chapter 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed on it in, in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on, it, on the head after they had mocked him. And they took the scarlet robe off him, put his own garments back on, and led him away to crucify him. And so I don't know if you've ever read uh, any descriptions of crucifixion from a medical perspective of how a person died on the cross. And it was invented by the Romans as the most uh, painful death possible. Uh, they uh, kind of were experts at how to create pain and to do it in a public way so that the pain was demonstrated to all who watched. And so... I don't think it's any accident that as he paid the penalty of our sins, uh, that as God brought uh, 
Jesus came into the world at various times of history. Uh, the time in which he died was a time in which uh, man had invented this uh, absolutely the worst torturous death that had ever been invented, and he experienced that for us. Number six, Jesus was tormented by the devil and all the demons while he hung on the cross. So you won't pick this up in the Gospels, uh, but you will pick it up in the, the Psalms, especially in Psalms 22, and there's a bunch of other chapters as well that describe the demonic harassment uh, that Jesus experienced in this life. And so if you can picture Jesus on the cross and every single demon uh, going around him, uh, harassing him, making fun of him about his weakness and his inability uh, to accomplish what God had sent him to accomplish. They didn't know. They didn't realize. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if the leaders, the spiritual demons of this world had recognized and realized what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. But they didn't understand the whole concept of God dying for the sins of people. And so they thought they had won when Jesus was nailed to the cross. They thought they had gained the upper hand and the victory and that God's son now was being tortured on a cross and being killed. And so they were making fun of him. Psalms 22, I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. And if you remember in the Gospels, that was the exact words that people, especially the Pharisees, uh, yelled at Jesus as he hung on the cross. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when, when upon my mother's breast. You, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Now in the Bible, one of the words, uh, words that are used for demons is the word bulls, lions, dogs, are all animal terms for demons. Obviously, lion is a word that's used for Jesus, uh, the devil himself. Uh, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. Again, another term for demons. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands, my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, sometimes people say, how do you know the Bible is true? I said, did you know there's descriptions of the crucifixion that were written years and years and years uh, before it actually occurred in great detail? In fact, the whole life of Jesus is prophesied in Psalms, and you read that and then read the Gospels and say, how did that happen? Did the writers of the Gospel just hold the Psalms with one hand and write with another? Uh, and so it's obvious that there was a, a fulfillment of prophecy done, and it's very, very uh, true. By the way, just as a side point, sometimes people say, did you know that there's some differences in the Gospels and the descriptions of written, what's written there, like the plaque that's up on above Jesus, that in three of the occurrences, they're different words. I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. 
So doesn't that make you nervous about the accuracy of Scripture? I said, did you know that when uh, John wrote the Gospel of John, he had access to Matthew, Mark, and Luke? That they had already been written when the Gospel of John was written? So what do you think? If John was wanting to say, I think maybe I want to make sure people believe this is true, so I won't write what I remember. I'll write what they wrote, so it's the same. Um, and so often people think that the difference would make it not true. I think the differences validate the fact that it was written by men that weren't fabricating, that weren't making things up, that literally wrote from their memory of what took place. And so we understand that the inspiration of God um, uses people and they re recorded what they experienced, what they saw, what they remember, they wrote it down. God made sure that the message was true, but there were some variations that were there. So if they said, okay, Psalms was a prophecy of the Messiah, let's make sure that we get it just exactly the way the Psalms wrote it. Um, and so the differences validate to me that they indeed wrote it from memory and from their experience. And the fact that Psalms and uh, Gospels are as almost identical with a few minor differences. The Gospels are almost identical with a few minor differences. Uh, to me, is ample proof that it was in the inspired and errant Word of God, and it communicates to us what actually happened. <clears throat> Number seven, while Jesus hung on the cross, the sins of every person who had lived and would, be, and would live were put on Him by the Father. He became our sin, that is, it was as if He had actually committed my sins Himself. So when we talk about the cost that Jesus paid, uh, we can look at the fact that he was left heaven, became flesh, that he lived a, a simple life, a poor life. He wasn't esteemed by people, and he was harassed by all the leaders of the day. When he hung on the cross, he experienced this excruciating physical pain, and while he hung there, he was harassed by the demons, uh, uh, the ultimate in trash-talking, as it were. And he put up with all of that. But I can't imagine what it would have been like for a holy God to become my sin. Not just have it put on him in the sense of, uh, hey, I'll buy your lunch. I'll pay the bill. Uh, that price was simply money. This was much more than that. He became my sin. He became it. Uh, and that God looked at him as if he actually did it. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him... That's God the Father made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm declared to be as righteous as Jesus, not because I am, but because of this uh, imputing of righteousness and his sin being placed on him. My sin was put on him and his righteousness was put on me and on you. Number eight, Jesus, as holy, sinless, and perfect, felt the guilt and the shame of my sin. You ever feel guilty? Ever feel embarrassed, shamed? All of the guilt and the shame of sin, not just mine, but yours, not just ours, but every individual who has ever lived or who will live. God, as God, was able to collect all of that and put it all on Jesus, and he felt he experienced in his own soul, his own heart, the guilt and the shame of that sin. Isaiah 53, there's a lot of verses that are written about this, and I didn't want to put them all on there. Again, read the Psalms. Read it as an expression of the very 
feelings, emotions, thoughts of Jesus. Surely our griefs he himself bore. So it's more than our sins he bore, our griefs, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Again, remember how many thousands of years this was written before the actual event. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isaiah 53.10, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And so the father crushed his own son, putting him to grief uh, if he was willing to render himself as a guilt offering. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. The father will be satisfied. That is the guilt of our sin, the holy God, almighty father, creator of everything, as just and holy, sin had to be paid for. There had to be an atonement made. And so it says that he was satisfied. That is the price was paid by his son. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their iniquities. So you ask yourself the question, what kind of price was that? for him to become my sin, to feel the shame of my sin, to feel the guilt of my sin, not mine only, but every individual that had ever lived. Uh, he experienced that guilt, that shame, that anguish uh, as he was on the cross, the physical pain and then the emotional pain. <clears throat> and then this is the biggest one for me. When I think about it, if I were to rank them, number nine, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit had been one in unity and love and essence and in purpose for all eternity. As far back as you go, when nothing existed, the Trinity existed, and they were infinite in their love for one another and their oneness of purpose and essence. And that oneness was broken for the very first time when God turned his back on Jesus when he became our sin. So forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, no matter how far back you go, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed as one. They loved each other so much. They were so much in agreement. They were so much one in thought and feeling and unity. They were like they were one but three distinct persons. But on the cross, the Father, God the Father, turned his back on Jesus. That oneness was torn apart. And I wonder what that felt like as Jesus cried out on the cross, uh, my God, my God, uh, Matthew 26, 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, began to be grieved and distressed. Why? This is the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion. He knows what's coming. He was grieved and distressed. And you remember in another uh, gospel, he said he sweat uh, drops of blood. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so the, Jesus knew the cost was going to be such extreme that he was praying, Lord, if there's some other way that we can come up with to save uh, D. Duke, 
Is there some other way that we can save mankind? But not my will, but yours be done. And so he was willing, but it was such a price that even Jesus was pleading with the Father that we could do it another way. But yeah, not mine, but yours be done. Matthew 26, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And so that fellowship was broken uh, for the first time. Number 10, the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus as he took our place and paid the price of our sins. So sin must be atoned for, must be paid for. God is holy. We tend to think that because God is God, he can wink at sin. He can just say, oh, no big deal. But his holiness, his character, the justice of God demands that that sin be paid for. That's why it's so absurd when somebody says, uh, you know, I've not been too bad a person. I think I'm, I'll make it. Nobody makes it on the basis of being good because God is holy and just, and even the smallest sin will keep us from entering into heaven. Even the smallest sin will put us into the lake of fire forever as we pay for our own sin. But Jesus paid the price for us. Um, he took our place. He did everything that was necessary for our sins to be totally uh, taken care of where God was satisfied. And, and so he experienced the full wrath of God against the sins of mankind on himself. I don't know what that felt like, but I imagine uh, it was intense. And now 11 is one of the ones that prompted this discussion this morning because several of you asked me about this last week. Now, this is not a, what I call a deal breaker. That is, if you think, no, I don't think I believe that. Uh, that's fine. I'll still take you fishing. And, uh, but if you're interested uh, in, in what I think and what the reasons are, I believe this is part of the whole price. Number 11, when Jesus died on the cross, his spirit went to hell for three days where he was tormented and punished for our sins. <clears throat> now the reasons that are brought up for that knot is one of them is the words to the thief on the cross. This day uh, you will see me in paradise or I will see you in paradise. And so I was going to put all the verses on to study that but I thought well that'll make this a little bit too long of a study. But paradise as the place of the dead was in the center of the earth, the distance between paradise and Hades uh, was not too great. And so in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story about Lazarus, a poor man who dies, and a rich man who dies. Lazarus had begged for bread at the table of the rich man. The rich man went to uh, Hades, a place of torment and agony, and he declares there in the Gospel of Luke, I'm in torment in these flames. And, uh, and Lazarus and the proximity wasn't that far away from each other. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, it says, and I'll read the verse in a minute, it says he took with him a whole host of captives, all those who had died previously and were now in this center of the earth place. They all went with Jesus into the presence of God. They couldn't go into the presence of God until the price for their sin had been paid. Now, there appears to be a couple of exceptions to that. Whether they are or not, we don't know the details. Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, Elijah uh, and uh, others, but uh, the, generally speaking, the exceptions are few. Most people 
were in the center of the earth and were there until Jesus rose from the dead and he took them with him into heaven as sort of a victory uh, parade they went into heaven. Um, one illustration, example, is you remember when uh, Saul, King Saul, who was king of Israel before David, and he kind of messed up a number of times, and so God removes his blessing from him, and he's in a, really a big jam, and Samuel had died, and it was his mentor, his counselor, and he, uh, so he goes to a witch called the Witch of Endor, and he says, could you raise up La uh, Samuel for me so I can ask him some questions? Now, she probably was pretty much a phony, because when Samuel appears, she's just uh, basically almost faints from shock. But if you read the story, it says Samuel came up out of the earth. He didn't come down from heaven when he appeared. And he actually appears to Saul and talks to him and tells him, Saul, you're going to be with me here uh, shortly. And so that wasn't good news. But at least he was with Samuel and he wasn't with the, uh, the other dudes in the in the. In the and what is called the pit or Gehenna or Hades. Uh, so an explanation for the thief on the cross, Jesus uh, passing through uh, would actually see him, but I believe that he went to hell. Let me read some reasons for that. Ephesians 4, 8, Therefore it says, when he, speaking of Jesus, ascended on a high, and that's when he rose from the dead, he led captive a host of captives. That would be those who were in the place of the dead. He takes them with him to heaven as a big a parade into the presence of God. He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now you read the context, it's obviously talking about Jesus and it says he descended in the lower parts of the earth. Matthew chapter 12 verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, Jesus will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jonah, as long as he's an illustration of Jesus, chapter 2 verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he's in the, in the stomach, he's sitting there. Uh, kind of, wow, what a lousy place to be. Seaweed wrapped around his head. And uh, he, he prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Now, he wasn't in Sheol. He's just kind of liking it to Sheol. If you're in the belly of a fish, it's going to feel like you're in hell, I'm sure. Uh, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Now remember, this is a prophecy of Jesus. I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have brought up my, uh, brought up my life from the pit, O oh my God. So there's the words of Jonah. The pit was a word used for Gehenna, Hades, the place of the dead that was not the pleasant side of the place of the dead, but the torturous side. And so Psalms, remember, is a prophecy of Jesus. So Psalms 88 I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. The word pit is a technical word for 
the place of the dead, the place of torture, those who don't have a relationship with God. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. Now this is the feeling that Jesus has as he's in this place. Uh, you remember no more. They're cut off from your hand. You have, put that, you have put me in the lowest pit. The lowest pit. In dark places, in the depths, your wrath has rested upon me. Your wrath, the wrath of God against Jesus has rested upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. You've removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning my prayer comes before you, O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I am afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. Recognize the, uh, the correlation. I am surrounded by water all day long. Those exact words of Jonah. And Jesus said, I am like Jonah in the sense of being in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. They have encompassed me altogether. They have removed lover and friend from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Um, so if you want to uh, this sort of be impressed with what Jesus did for you, uh, that's a great chapter to read, even memorize and meditate on and think about God, eternal, almighty, who created the worlds, who was with the Father forever and ever and ever and ever, and he emptied himself of all that he was as God, traveled down to this planet, came into the world as a, as a person, lived a simple life, was harassed, uh, and harangued by the leaders of the world, was rejected by his own disciples, was tortured physically on a cross, and while he hung there, the demons harassed him and trash-talked him to the ultimate. While he was there, he experienced incredible, incomprehensible physical pain. The, the sins of the world of every person were put on him, and he felt the guilt and the shame of that sin. God, whom had never he'd always been one with, turned his back on him, and then he w died and went to... Uh, the pit, to Gehenna, to Hades, uh, and for three days, separated from the Father for three days, experienced the full wrath, wave after wave, it says, of his wrath came upon him. And he was punished for my sins and for yours. And the good news is he rose from the dead, left that place, took all those that were there with him and entered into heaven. And because they paid that price, my sins have been taken care of and all I have to do to experience that free gift is to believe that what he did was for me and then to love him and to follow him and serve him. Psalm 30, chapter 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. 
Psalm 69:15. May the flood of water not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me and do not hide your face from your servant. I am in distress. Answer me quickly. O draw near to my soul. Redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My reproach, my shame, my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Reproach has broken my heart. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm so sick, and I looked for sympathy, but there was none for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now you recognize those words as being uh, a verbatim in the Psalms, is what they did for Jesus as he hung there. Number 12, the pit also called Sheol in Hades is the place of torment, the place of the unsaved dead that is located in the center of the earth. <clears throat> I don't ever have to go there because Jesus went there for me. Ezekiel 26, 20, Then I will bring you down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the lower parts of the earth like the ancient waste places with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be in, in, inhabited, but I will set glory in the land of the living. Psalms 28.1, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Revelation chapter 9, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were, were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as scorpions of the earth have power. Now you recognize those are demons that were bound in that pit, but for a time were released during the tribulation period. And so they've been down there for a while. Uh, these are probably uh, demons that were put in the pit uh, uh, before the flood. Those demons that had... Uh, 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 had sexual relationships with women, physical, and produced giants, and all these were uh, put in the pit, and it would, I'll do a whole lesson on that here in the next couple of months about that particular uh, principle, but they've been down there for a while, and so these demons have been in the pit locked up, and so they get turned loose for a little bit of time, and uh, they just run around and torture people. That's not going to be a good time to be there. I won't be there. Um, number 13, the devil and his demons will be thrown into the pit forever. That's sort of like one of those events that if I am able to see it, I'm going to clap. Yay! So the devil and, the, uh, and his demons, let me read a little bit. I'll give you some more information about this next week as we look at angels and demons in detail. Isaiah 14, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. This is a prophecy about the devil, Satan, Lucifer. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath. You and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will arise 
Uh, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the, on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is Lucifer as a created angel of God as he rebels against God. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. And so God prophesies this is where you will end up. Revelation chapter 20, the end of the story. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss. So I like to ask people, you know, you think the devil is tough? How many angels did it take to whip him? Just one. He's not so tough. Uh, Bound him for a thousand years, he threw him into the abyss. I used to have a Jack Russell Terrier, and occasionally when I wasn't looking, he'd, lay, he'd get up and sleep on my recliner, and he knew he wasn't supposed to be up there. So one time I snuck up behind him, and I grabbed him by the scuff of his neck and picked him up, opened the door, and threw him. And he yelped. He didn't sit on my chair ever again. So I visualize uh, that... There, uh, he threw him into the abyss. And he shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must, re must be released for a short time. And then after the thousand years, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They will be in the pit uh, forever and ever and ever and ever. And then the sad part of the story, number 13, all lost people will spend eternity in the lake of fire and torment as they pay the price for their own sins. <clears throat> so my sins are expensive, as it were, and Jesus paid the price in what he did and those things that I just outlined to you. And an individual who says, ah, I'm okay, they don't really understand how serious their sin is before God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, the rich, the poor, every individual, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Written in the book of life. And so I, my name is written in the book of life because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior who personally paid the price of my sin. And so as you read through the epistles, through the Gospels, he loved us, he gave his life for us, he paid the penalty of our sins. If we believe in him, if we trust him and receive him as our Savior, we love him and serve him and follow him. We are God's children adopted into his family. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so when I die... I will be ushered into the presence of God and I will never see the pit.
because Jesus saw it for me. I'll never experience the wrath of God because Jesus experienced it for me. And uh, so as I review that mentally, periodically about the price that was paid for my sin, it motivates me to serve him, to love him. Uh, if he made that much sacrifice so that I could live with him forever, then I certainly ought to live for him and love him and sacrifice for him with the life that I presently live now.